I'm Kim Singletary. And I'm Rich Collins with Biz New Orleans Magazine. Welcome to Biz Talks. Each week, we reach beyond the pages of Biz New Orleans Magazine to bring you in-depth conversations with members of the business community. From the names everyone knows to the ones destined to make their mark, we'll dive into the top issues, best practices, successes, and failures of every industry that calls Southeast Louisiana home. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the podcast. Today's guest is native New Orleanian Curtis Doucette, a real estate developer and the CEO of Iris Development. His new project is Bon V, a mixed-use, mixed-income development in the Bywater that's celebrating its grand opening on June 16th. Curtis Doucette, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. Okay, my first question is, what is your background? How did you come to be the CEO of Iris? Mm-hmm. Goodness, I mean, that, there could be a long story there. Remember, <laughs> I am a New Orleanian, so I, mean, I always feel like four score seven years ago. But um, right. so, but yeah, I mean, you know, real estate something I've been doing uh, back as a as a side job since two thousand and two, um, and um, I built up my own little portfolio over the course of the years while I was working at Hibernia Bank, which during that time also became, I mean, eventually became Capital One Bank. Right. And um, and when the when Capital One took over, um, they were not so pleased about having their back offices exposed to hurricanes. And we were always running away from hurricanes and preparing our systems to handle um, hurricanes. And by the way, I worked in IT. So um, there ended up being massive layoffs, um, which uh, for me happened to really be a dream come true because wow. an opportunity to pursue what I wanted to um, all along, what I had been preparing myself for. So at that time I went to graduate school, um, went to Columbia University and got a master's in real estate development, which helped me to hone some skills that, um, that I would need really to do real estate on this level. Um, so I went there, I got the skills that I needed and um, maybe even more importantly, I found my business partners there as well as a whole network of people um, to support uh, the work that we were doing. And so, um, you know, we, we came back from school pretty much. And, um, you know, I, I'm from New Orleans and there was lots of opportunity here. And um, my business partners and I decided that we would focus on New Orleans. So we started off with projects like uh, restoring Hurricane Katrina damaged homes um, that through like a Nora project or a city of New Orleans project, and then selling those homes to people at 80% of AMI or below. And, um, you know, we ended up purchasing apartment complexes and um, we've, we've done a lot of that work over the years. But then Bon V, here it is today. This is our, our flagship project, um, our biggest and best to date. Well, Chris, before, before we talk about Bon V, I want to ask a couple of questions about your, mm -hmm. your career transition. One is, what was the year that that happened where you left Capital One and started the, uh, the grad school and, and going into real estate full time? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I left in 2011 to go to graduate school. And uh, the beauty of those real estate development programs is most of them are just a year. It's three tough, uh, rigorous semesters. Right. Um, so I finished in 2012 and that really worked for me because I had children back at home. I already had a business back at home. I had a real estate portfolio of my own already. And so I really couldn't stand to be away from the city of New Orleans much longer than that. Understood. So were you going up there and then coming home on the weekends? Is that how it worked? No way. Um, I was coming home on holidays. Um, you know, pretty much because those those flights were way, way too expensive to come home that frequently. Wow. Um, yeah, yeah. So, so that uh, was a I major kinda, commitment. You took a year just to, to really to 
change change the course of your professional life. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, I would put it exactly like that. <laughs> well, that that's pretty impressive. Now, uh, how old were you approximately uh, when when this change in your life happened? Oh man, I was in my mid thirties when I went back to graduate school. Gotcha. And you had little kids, like you say. Well, that's yeah. major. That's major. That's exciting. And and so your um, what was the what was the size and scale of your real estate portfolio at that stage? How would you say it? I had 41 units scattered all about, mostly duplexes and triplexes, but I had a couple of larger pieces, a seven unit building and a 17 unit building. Okay, so it was a significant amount already. Yeah, yeah. And that was just, and that, and that was you with partners or that was just you? That was, that was me alone uh, bootstrapping it. <laughs> My gosh, that's impressive. And, that, and then you were like mid thirties and you'd already put that together. That's okay. I'm starting to get the picture here. <laughs> then, yeah. So when you went up to school, you say you found your partners. Um, obviously mm -hmm. when you're getting into the, to this stage of your career where you're doing these bigger projects, I guess mm -hmm. capital becomes the big, um, you know, X factor. Mm -hmm. how, how have you been putting that together? Is that through, um, private investors or do you have certain banks that you work with? Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, um, if, if I could back up a little bit as I answer that question. Um, one of the silver linings of starting out without a whole lot of money is that you learn to be really creative about how to finance things. Mm -hmm. And so I, I, even when I was doing duplexes, I just remember that it, it took a long time in my career before I felt like a closing was easy. And um, so, you know, I got a chance to really flex that creative muscle. Um, but, but to answer your question in terms of how things are financed these days, it's, it's a combination of things. We um, at Iris Development, obviously we get debt um, on, on every deal, but even in those cases that debt is mission driven, like for instance, in our, our latest deal, Bon V, that's mission driven debt with a goal of creating affordable housing. Um, we often get grants, whether it be from the Federal Home Loan Bank or whether it be the City of New Orleans grants that also supports the mission. And then the third way that we do it is that we have investors and typically those investors are friends and family, just people who believe in us, they trust us, they know our character. Understood, understood. What was the very first uh, piece of property that you, that you <laughs> invested in and do you still own it? <laughs> um, yeah, so the first property that I ever bought was a duplex in New Orleans East. Okay. Uh, I actually got bond money um, from one of these affordable programs back then in order to purchase that. So I got like $4,000 in down payment and closing cost assistance. Um, and um, I don't own it anymore, but certainly when I bought that property, I looked at myself as somebody who was like, I'm in the game now. Right. Uh, some people might see it as, oh, you just bought your, you bought your first home and this is that's the significance. But for me, it was really the significance was being into this business. Understood. And then what year was that? Do you remember? 2002. Oh, so. OK, so it was, it was April it was, 2002. <laughs> OK, so it really was a decade of the or so when you were building up the, the portfolio on your own before you uh, ended up leaving Capital One. Yeah, that's about right. But there also I mean, so it was. It, it didn't take me a decade to build that portfolio um, because you have to remember there was some key things happening um, from about you know, around 2008 with the financial crash. Right. I didn't really acquire anything new. So everything that I owned um, by myself, I had actually purchased by 2008. Talk to me about Iris now. What's the origin of Iris? What, what kind of projects do you do? What's the mission? Yeah, so, um, so Iris Development is a, um, a small company. I mean, I, I really kind of feel like um, we have, we started off as a, almost like a mom and pop, you know, just three friends who gelled really well in graduate school. 
Um, you know, I, I always think about how fortunate it was we all got caught in the rain one day, uh, leaving studio really late one night. That was the beginning of a friendship. And um, and as much as it might not seem like there's a lot of intention there, there's a lot of um, we have a lot of complementary skill sets, you know, um, between the three of us, my, my business partners, uh, Wendy Hoffman and Emmanuel Gillen. Um, and so we, um, as I mentioned, the first project that we tackled was a single family home ownership uh, project. And so there were the values already of creating affordable housing. We wanted to take, we wanted to address some of the things that the city of New Orleans really needs. And as um, and so we've done a whole bunch of uh, mixed income or affordable housing. But one of the things that we really started to realize is the impact that we have as developers. I always say, as a developer, I may or may not make a lot of money, but I damn sure spend a lot of money. <laughs> and so, <laughs> so you know, as we realize the power that we have of spending millions of dollars to actualize projects. We realize that that creates that is an opportunity to create some opportunities for other people, and so um, with our projects, we try to focus very heavily on making sure that we give opportunities to DBE firms like ourselves um, as we as we um, actualize these contracts. For instance, um, that's important to us, and it's also important that as we make hiring decisions within our company, we're hiring people that match the demographics and match the diversity of our community. Um, so, so I would say that, so our mission is definitely to produce mixed income housing, but I, our mission is closely aligned with the mission of this mayoral administration and probably other admin, um, mayoral administrations as they come in, because we're doing things that we really think solve problems that need to be addressed in New Orleans. In a conversation I had with another affordable housing expert, one of the topics that came up was that the cost of the project mm -hmm is the same whether you're building affordable housing or whether you're building market rate housing so that mm -hmm. there there's a there's a gap that needs to be made up uh, since you're not going to be earning the same amount of income from rents or sales and that sorts of things so talk to me a little bit about the strategy that you employ or the programs that you have to be skilled at navigating to make mm -hmm. up that gap yeah i mean and so i, I agree 100 with that other developer and uh, there's one there's one word that answers that, and it's called subsidy. These projects just can't exist without subsidy because of that natural gap um, between what it costs to produce affordable housing and what it costs to build it. Um, but and there's there's lots of ways that we've used to skin that cat. And so I mentioned some of those programs I right. believe earlier, like we work with the city of New Orleans because they have programs that support the development of affordable housing. We also have worked with the Federal Home Loan Bank. Um, we've we've worked with um, uh, some private institutions sometimes that have grant dollars or very uh, cheap money in order to make these deals work. Even lenders that sometimes will offer a higher um, loan to value or loan to cost than the market typically would. And all of our partners are typically mission driven. Right, right. And then, of course, there's the demand side subsidy as well. I mean, sometimes you can... Um, get a higher rent than people could afford by working with programs like Section 8. And so that helps also to stabilize things on the operating side. Right. All right, well, let, let's talk about Bonvie now. Here's this project. It's in the Bywater. Give me the, the sales pitch. Tell me about this project you built and who helped you build it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, so, wow, who helped me build it? How much time do <laughs> <did> you have? <laughs> um, you know, this, this project is Iris Development's flagship. 
we we have never built anything yet um, this expensive, this beautiful, this desirable, um, and it's it's something that I truly am proud of. I'm proud of the contribution that this is making to our to the neighborhood, to our community. Um, I should mention, and, by the way, that we're talking right now, and the reason there's some echo in your voice is because you are in the building right now. Yes, I guess, uh, I'm yes. assuming uh, getting all the final details ready for the grand opening in, in two or three days. Yeah, so you know we're actually leasing apartments already. We started officially leasing apartments on June 1st, so we have a handful of tenants. It's nice to drive by and see cars in the parking lot and lights on in, you know, in the place. Um, but yes, we're actively in the midst of lease up and we're working toward our uh, ribbon cutting ceremony, which is later this week. Before we connected on Zoom a minute ago, I'm curious, what was the last little detail you were dealing with? Hmm, you know, um, I actually was, let's see, we had, uh, we were putting up signs about cameras. <laughs> <laughs> putting up signs about what now? <laughs> cameras. We wanted people to know that we have um, uh, surveillance. So oh, that, gotcha, uh, gotcha. Those things are <laughs> Or we're, we're keeping an eye on our parking lot, right? That's um, great. But, but there's also other details that as a developer, I mean, that more, that's more in the property management realm, right. which, which by the way, Iris Development is also branching out to do uh, property management of its own. Right. We started with one of our other recent project properties, but that's it's it's a fledgling business and it's something that we're building a little bit more here at Bon V. And that's important to us, by the way, because I mean, it's a way to control your brand. I mean, how, who better to execute your vision of what you want a place to be than you? Um, right, but anyway, right. you were asking about like who who helped. Um, it's important for me to mention that we have a partner on this deal. It's Green Coast, right? Um, and and so Green Coast has brought a ton of great ideas, a ton of um, 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 literal equity and sweat equity. Um, you know, we've worked hard enough and long enough on this project together that we've all become rather close. And, and it's really nice to work with a company that's so mission aligned. Um, that's but Jackie city, and her crew, right? That is, yeah, Jackie Datticus and her crew. And um, we also, I would say that, you know, who helped us, obviously the city of New Orleans, those mission driven lenders helped us. Um, the Crescent City Community Land Trust really stepped into this project at a time when we weren't sure if there was gonna be a project. And I, I might say, um, it, maybe there wouldn't have been a project had they not stepped in to make sure that we got a land loan when we were still trying to figure out what to do with this site. And um, although affordable housing is a part of the mission of our company, um, the land trust becoming involved at that key point uh, guaranteed that there was going to be affordable and affordable affordability in this building uh, through perpetuity. But so the city of New Orleans has been a partner. Um, the IDB, the Industrial Development Board, has been a partner in, in making sure, as, you, as I mentioned, you have to have subsidy to make a project like this work. And so um, we have a pilot, which is a, a tax redu reduction on the basis of the affordability that we provide through the Industrial Development Board. Um, and then, of course, there's those mission-driven lenders. The truth of it is, is that, you know, when I talked earlier in the conversation about the difficulty of financing and how that's really been a, a silver lining for me that I've really learned how to navigate those tough situations. We have a rather large loan on this building and those mission driven lenders just weren't either capable or up to the task of lending all of it at once by themselves. So we cobbled together four lenders to make this deal happen. Well, what is the total price tag of this project? We're right, up on, right under 20 million. Got you, got you. All right, and I, I kind of distracted you. Uh, can you, yeah, go back to the point where you're telling us 
all about the building, how many units, what, what, what oh, are yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, so we have 69 residential units. We have wow. wow. 3,500 or so square feet of commercial space. We have nice amenities, like we have a rooftop pool above our commercial space, which is, um, it's technically the second floor, but the first floor is a double height space. So it's like being on a third floor where you okay. get to overlook and see the river um, from, the, from the pool. We have a fitness room. We, we have a co-working space that's gonna be available to our residents. Nice. And um, we have some of the best views. <laughs> we also have parking for um, each apartment. Oh, um, how many total square feet is the building, the structure? It's a, it's a, it's in the mid 60s, 65,000 or so square feet okay. total. And what was that? What was that site before? It was a waterproofing warehouse, a little, little warehouse that had been burned and uh, wasn't in the best shape. Is it uh, one, two and three bedroom or and what are the price ranges for the ones that are not um, affordable? Yeah. So we have, um, mostly one bedroom units, but we also have a healthy mix of two bedroom units okay. and we only have four three bedroom units. Okay. Um, and so the rent, the average one bedroom is around 1600. It could be a little bit lower or it could be a little bit higher depending on where you are in the building, what state you take up. And then the two bedrooms are a little bit over 2,500 on average. And of course that, that price range uh, varies depending on where you are in the building, uh, how, how attractive your spot is. Um, and then as far as the affordable units go, we have 10 of those, uh, seven of those are one bedrooms and three of those are two bedrooms. You know, a question I've, I've never thought to ask when I'm talking to someone uh, about this topic is, how do people apply for and get those, those affordable units? Obviously, it seems like it's going to be very desirable, and there's always a mm -hmm. limited number in these projects. So what, what's the process? It's not, is it first come, first serve, or is there some other, uh, other uh, it is It is first come, first serve. It's pretty much the same process as somebody who's walking in to get a retail unit. Uh, the difference is that they'll have to income qualify. So someone who's applying for an affordable unit, I mean, because we'd all love to have that affordable unit, right? <laughs> right, but, right. <laughs> but, um, but, but sorry, if you make six figures, you won't be able to get into one of those affordable units because you can't make more than 80% of the area median income Understood. as a household. And then another thing I never thought of is, um, you know, what happens if someone's in there, they, they've, I guess it's a, whatever the duration of the lease, they're ready to place, mm -hmm. and then they, they get a great new job and suddenly they're making more than the income. I guess the next time that they're, um, mm -hmm. their next time their lease is up, that's, that's when that gets sorted out. Yeah, they'll have the income qualify every year. Yeah. And so if it turns out that they no longer um, qualify for an affordable unit, then hopefully we have a nice, nice safe place for them to land. I mean, they can stay in their, their own apartment um, and, and hopefully the job was good enough that they'll be able to pay the market Un un understood. Oh wait, do you mean that? In other words, if you're in you're in there at an affordable rate, um, mm -hmm. the, the affordable rate units are the same as the as the market rate units. It just depends on who's in them. Is that more or less how it works? So yeah, yeah, it's it's based on the individual and their income. Oh, I see. So yeah, so you yeah, you, you yeah. stay in your apartment. Understood. Yeah, yeah, and that's one of the beauties of this project, man. I mean, it's it's certainly, um, <laughs> you know, as somebody who's from New Orleans, I'm like, yeah, rent's gotten really high, right? But it's also nice to know that we have a building like this and someone with a Section 8 voucher could also live here. Understood. And take advantage of all of these amenities and you wouldn't know the difference. And you said something that I thought was important, which is that the, the ones that are set aside for that affordable rate will be that way forever. It's not a thing where in 15 years it can it will default back to market rate. Yeah, I, you know, I, we have a 99-year 
commitment to affordability. Got it. Got it. On this building. Because there's a few developments I'm aware of over the last couple of decades where where that, mm -hmm. that, that expired. Mm -hmm. And then as soon mm -hmm. as it expired, uh, you know, maybe the buildings changed hands and then maybe things change, you know. Sure, um, sure. Yeah, the policymakers started to think about that stuff long and hard after a few high profile projects, right? And so. Uh, okay, so just one, one couple more questions real quick. One is, uh, I know that it might have been a bit of a sensitive issue to put in a development of this size and scale in that part of town. Talk to me about the the, the work you did with the community to to um, to navigate all that. Yeah, you know, whenever we come into a community, we try to be good neighbors. Um, you know, it's true that not everybody is gonna like what you're trying to do, and that's just a fact of life. But we try to approach it with humility and with respect, and 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 more than anything, with honesty. Right. So we, we, we are not the kind of company that's going to walk into the door and tell people what it is that they want to hear. Um, but we want to be a good neighbor. So this project uh, happens to not require neighborhood participation because it's not in HDLC. But we took it upon ourselves and, you know, we've had probably 15 meetings with community members, whether it be officially through the neighborhood organizations, the two that are here in this neighborhood, or whether it be unofficially with some neighbors who were kind enough to host a meeting so that we can you know, talk about what it is that we're planning to do and invite some of their concerned neighbors. So we've had, we've had um, quite a bit of conversations where we heard um, the concerns of the neighbors. They've given us some good feedback and in instances that have improved the project for our residents. Um, but we also found out like some of those things that are really important to them and, um, and and we made some commitments that, that we all feel good about. And so it's it's mostly been a pretty good relationship. I'm not saying that there hasn't been any criticism, right? There's certainly been criticism, but it's all been uh, respectful conversations and, and we've been trying to see eye to eye. Was there a certain um, compromise you had to make that you can think of in particular that, that to assuage the neighbors? Well, I mean, one of the things that people in this community were really concerned about is the impact of short-term rentals. And so oh. they, they'd always ask us, are you going to have long-term leases? Are you going to allow short-term rentals? And, you know, we can say emphatically, um, we will not allow short-term rentals here. These are long-term leases. And, um, and we, you know, that's something that we can easily abide by. But, you know, also, by the way, I mean, you know, parking is always a thing, for instance, right? Um, and so making sure that we had one-to-one -one parking, which is is, um, you know, it's a code requirement, but, you know, we're happy to be able to do that. Folks would ask about, are you going to charge to park? Because they were concerned that some of our tenants might opt out of parking. And so we're not charging to park. And there are lots of things that came out of it. But I'd also say, um, so, sometimes it's just best to talk to the people who experience something every day. They said, you know, you're going to have one way in. And we showed them early designs of the project. And they said, you're going to have one way in and, um, and one way out. On, on this project, have you ever thought about what happens when the train comes? You should have access that goes through your parking lot and you can leave and go from either direction. And I thought that was really helpful to save some frustration for our residents and us when we come here to work. I forgot to ask you to put this on the map for us. I know you're on Montague, Montague that's how you say it? Yes, 882 Montague. We are bound, um, so the building faces Montague Street. We're bound by Dauphine, Burgundy, and Press Street is behind us. So what, what, what's a landmark or two that's right by you? Uh, we're very close to NOCA. Um, I, um, one, of, one of my favorite landmarks is we're right there by the um, sign, uh, the Plessy versus Ferguson sign where um, Homer Plessy got off the train a couple of blocks away. Oh, wow. We're across the street, we're across the street from Studio B. 
everybody's a fan of his work. Right. Um, yeah, that's where we are. And you got the park not too far, right, to, to get to the park. Oh, we got Crescent City Park. Don't get me started on how much I love this neighborhood and all <laughs> that it has to offer. <laughs> We've got Crescent City Park here at ES close by. Some of my favorite restaurants in the city as well. Nice. Okay, understood. And speaking of that, uh, uh, any um, any hints about who your commercial tenant might be or tenants? Um, well, you know, it's hard to say at this point. We've got we've got some interest from a select few, um, and you know, I, I think I think it's safe to say that it would probably be someone who has a restaurant and a bar component. Only two more questions. Second to last is, do you have your site set on another project that you can start to hint about? <laughs> yeah, I mean, so we at Iris Development, we have, um, we're always, we're always kind of busy, um, but here, here in New Orleans, we have a project coming up uh, with the Housing Authority of New Orleans, where we have uh, quite a few sites to develop some affordable housing. Again, once again, mixed income housing, about 110 units. That project's a little bit different from this one, at least a portion of it is. There's one, one stretch in which we build a relatively large building. Uh, mixed income housing, but then there's um, a, a few neighborhoods where we're going to cobble together some simple duplexes that are within the context of the neighborhood and produce affordability there. Um, the cool thing about that project is it allows us to execute on some of our goals of working with DBE firms because, as you know, it's um, there's not a lot of DBE prime contractors out there. So if we can break this work up and put it in the hands of some of the smaller companies that are DBE certified, that gives us an opportunity to meet that goal as well. And then personally, I'm working on a passion project, um, which is a really big deal to me. And it's a big deal to a lot of people in the city of New Orleans. It's the do drop in. Oh, wow. Wow. Yes. <laughs> what, what's, what's the timeline and the plan? Well, um, here's the most important thing about it. It's financed. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> and now, you know, the lenders would say to me, well, now that you got it financed, you closed, you can sleep. And I did have one or two nights of good sleep. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, but yeah, so the, the project is financed and we're looking at like a, an 11 month construction schedule. We're still in the early, early days of it. Um, and the schedule isn't, isn't necessarily etched in stone because when you start to deal with a historic building like that, you peel things back, you start to discover some things that are gonna impact your schedule. So we're not in the clear there yet, but I think it's safe to say that, you know, um, say spring or summer of next year, the dew drop in will be open again. Oh, that's really exciting. Well, we, we're definitely gonna to wanna to stay in touch and cover that. And then yeah. um, sort of along those lines, what makes you worried about our, our city and our economy and what makes you feel optimistic? Mm, to be honest with you, um, I'm, I'm really kind of just speaking from the heart here, but I'm, I'm really concerned about the crime right now. Um, and knowing that crime is a, really a, a byproduct of um, inequities, right? And I mean, at the end of it, at the end of the day, there's really no short-term solutions to that problem. Um, but by the same token, I'm optimistic that um, there are companies like ours who are out there trying to solve that problem in our own way, right? Um, there's many, many solutions, it's, you know, education, but it's, you know, economics has a lot to do with it. So by trying to create some opportunities for other businesses, um, by trying to create some opportunities for people to have decent wage jobs, um, I think, you know, we're doing our part and, and you know, I hope that we can make a dent and I hope that we can encourage some other people to try to make a dent in this problem.
Understood. And then what's your, what's your reason for optimism? Um, well, I mean, the reason that I'm optimistic about New Orleans is because it just has a culture that's unmatched. I mean, it's really hard not to fall in love with this place. And I think as long as we have that going for ourselves, we'll always have enough people who care to try to make it better. That's a great sentiment. Well, Curtis Doucette, thanks for taking the time <laughs> from pausing from preparing your building to talk to us. Yeah, my pleasure. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening to another episode of Biz Talks. If you like what you hear each week, don't forget to rate us and leave a comment wherever you listen to your podcasts. And follow us on social media at Biz New Orleans. For more information or to contact us, please visit bizneworleans.com slash biztalks.